0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. And as you're grabbing a seat, go ahead and grab your programs and get your card that says start here out. Fill that out because we're going to use this a little bit later this morning. And then grab your teaching notes because they're going to give you all the Bible verses that I'm using. They'll give you some fill in the blanks and give you some things to think about and chew on as we're going about our week. And if you're here today for the first time, welcome. I am so glad you're here. What, what an amazing opportunity we have to just engage together, to learn something new, to grow, to, to have some great worship. Isn't it, isn't it great having such an incredible worship team? I just love being with those guys. They're just absolutely wonderful. And I tell people this all the time. Uh, I'm so thankful to work in a, a Christian community where we have talented musicians who don't act like talented musicians. You know what I mean? It's just such a great gift to be with those guys. Um, Well, we are in week two of a really, really fun series that we're calling Hunger Games. And Hunger Games is so fun that we thought about it and we came to it based uh, based on a Bible verse that I was reading a couple months ago where Jesus makes a promise. Jesus, if you're brand new to Christianity, was, was uh, this guy who lived over 2,000 years ago. There's historical records about him in the ancient Roman world, uh, and we believe, and I think you will come to believe this to be true as well, that he was actually more than a man. He was God in the flesh, God that came down to this earth to live a perfect life and then to do something pretty incredible for us that we, we celebrated in communion that we're going to talk about a little bit today. But Jesus was walking on the earth, and he was talking to his followers, and he made them a promise but it wasn't just a promise for them 2,000 years ago. It's actually a promise for every man, every woman, and every child who chooses to walk with Jesus, who chooses to follow him. And and this is the promise from Matthew chapter 5. It's on your notes, and it's going to be up on the screen, and this is the verse we're going to be really playing with and and teasing out over the course of the next few weeks. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this. He said, blessed, and that word blessed means uh, a deep Seated joy, and a happiness that kind of goes beyond circumstances. It's a, it's a deep-rooted sense of peace and fulfillment. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because if you do that, you will be satisfied. So you, you have this deep joy if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, which which hopefully that makes us ask a question: well, what on earth is righteousness? If I need to hunger and thirst for it, what is it? And we've decided that righteousness is ultimately an act of, of living rightly with God. So if we live rightly with God, then we will be blessed and we will be satisfied. So we're asking questions like, well, what does it mean to be righteous? And, and how can I hunger and thirst for it? That seems like a really a odd way to talk about it. What's it mean to really hunger and thirst for it? And then what would it feel like if I was actually satisfied by God? And as we jump in today, I want to have you think through something with me. And I've been, I've been playing with this recently. Have you ever noticed in your life that you tend to learn from the mistakes that matter the least, but you continue to make the mistakes that matter the most? So I went paintballing yesterday with our worship leader, Justin, who is up here, and Uriah, who's our drummer, and then my buddy, Ryan, who's in the second row. Uh, I went paintballing with these three guys yesterday, and we aren't, um, believe it or not, we are not professional paintballers. That's not our... our profession. But we went out there, and at first it was just the four of us. And so they split us up on two teams, two against two, which is fantastic, because you know you get to shoot your friends. And so they said, go. And we just kind of ran at each other. And within three minutes, everybody was dead, because we had no strategy. We just took off and charged each other. So then in the second game, we said, okay, we need to learn from our mistake, because those things hurt. They leave welts. Ask Justin. He's got, like, his whole back is covered, which means he was running away, by the way. But, <laughs> So we started to learn some strategy if we go down the sides and then if we kind of shoot at angles, we can, we can get this cross thing going. And so we played a few more games and there was one game where Justin and I were on opposite teams and uh, we were the last two guys in. And it was so fun. So one of us was going to die and one of us was going to be the champion. You probably know who won because I'm sharing this story. But Justin learned this. Justin learned that if he could pin me down behind a barricade, then he could swing around and probably kill me. And so he did. He, he pinned me down behind this barricade, and I was, I was ducking down. And then I, I peek around the corner, and Justin did this incredible superhuman ninja roll thing where he ran sideways, and he dove forward. I, it was like something out of Call of Duty. He dove forward, he flipped over, and he got me in his sights, and he was just about to shoot me. And as he pulled the trigger, his gun jammed. So I did I did what any good Christian friend would do. I shot him as many times as I could from about 10 feet away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we learned from those mistakes. He learned that his friend and pastor has no compassion. I learned that it's better to hide than it is to run out in the open. We learn from the mistakes that matter the least, and yet we make the mistakes that matter the most. How many times have you been in a relationship with the same type of guy, and you get in a relationship and your friends say to you, don't do it. He's got a different name, but he, he even looks the same as the other guys you used to date. It's like, it's like Ross and Russ. And if, if you're in your 30s, you totally get that friend's reference, and if you're not, that seems lost to you. But your mom and your dad are saying, don't date that same He's the same guy with a different name. How many times have you said to yourself, I'm not going to get myself further in debt, I'm just not going to do it, it is, it is killing me, it's stressing me out, and then something comes up, or, or you're like me, you see a friend on Facebook who he and his wife are in Fiji right now, and something in you says, I want to go to Fiji, and so what do you, you, swipe the card and you get into debt, and then six months later you're thinking, why did I get myself in this again? Or maybe it's academics, those of you who are students uh, you pulled an all-nighter, you did okay but not great on your finals this last round, and you think, I'm never going to do that again. Just wait till December rolls around. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe it's friendships. You're in a friendship, and it just keeps hurting you, and your, your spouse is saying to you, why are you engaging back in that thing, which is so clearly destructive, but we, we, we don't learn from our mistakes, and we stay in the same types of relationships. And so I've been asking the question, well, why, do we, why don't we learn from the mistakes that matter the most? And I think it's because we believe at least two lies. And I want you to kind of go here with me for a few minutes and see if you agree. The first lie is that we think if we know better, then we will naturally do better. And Ron talked about this last week. And by the way, if you weren't here last week, I wasn't here. I was on vacation in Illinois, but I got online and listened to our podcast. And you can do that by going to our website. If if you missed last week, you have to listen to Ron's message. It was incredible. It was so good. It was so good. But Ron talked to us about this last week, that we cannot will ourselves to do the right thing. And you know this because you've laid in bed at night and you've thought to yourself, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to say that again. I'm I'm never going to go there again. That was the last time. And then a week or a month or a year later, you're doing the exact same thing that you swore to yourself you'd never do. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why? I know better, but I'm not doing better. And the answer is because each of us, according to God, is born with a sin nature, uh, something inside of us that's bent towards sin. And if you're new to the church, sin is simply the things that we think or say or do that are hurting us and that are hurting those closest to us and that ultimately are separating us from God. And because we're born with this sin nature, even though we know the right thing to do, we have a hard time actually doing it. And Ron talked to us last week about the fact that righteousness begins when we get a new nature. That Jesus left heaven and came to earth and lived a perfect life and gave his life on a cross, and then he rose from the dead. And when he did that, he broke the power of sin, and he took our sin upon himself, and he said to us, you don't have to have a sin nature anymore. You can have a new nature that I want to give you, which is free from the power of sin. You can actually live rightly when you start with a new nature, But a lot of us who are Jesus followers, we we say yes to Jesus and we start following him. And then we, we still try to do the right thing and we get discouraged and frustrated because we can't and our life is marked by failure. And then we read this promise of Jesus that says, blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for righteousness because you'll be satisfied. And we think, but I'm still not feeling satisfied. Well, that leads us to the second lie that we believe. And the second lie is this, we believe that experience will make us wiser. Have you ever met someone who said to you, I wouldn't trade my experience for the world. I wouldn't trade in my mistakes for anything because, what do they say? It made me the person I am today. And you look at them and your heart breaks because you think, but the person you are today is a person who's had three failed marriages and and who's deeply broken, and and whose kids don't want to talk to him, and the person you are today is in debt, and you seem unhappy, and you think, why why wouldn't you want to trade those experiences? And you think to yourself, because God offers so much better. He doesn't want you to have to, to live in your mistakes and make you the person you are today. God's great desire is not that we would be marked by the sum and total of our mistakes, but that we would be free with Him. And so I hear these things, and I think, no, experience doesn't make us wiser. Experience just hurts us because we experience the same pain over and over and over again. It's not experience that makes us wiser, it's evaluated experience that makes us wiser. And that's why we can learn from a paintball game. And and that's why if you've ever been on Facebook and you thought you sent a private message to someone and you realized you actually put it on their wall, you went onto Facebook and you said, how do I not do that again? Evaluated experience is the thing that makes us wiser. Uh, I'm so thankful. I just want to pull over to the side of the road for a second and tell you this. I'm so thankful that you allow me to be your pastor because I know that I have so much to learn in life. And so one of the things that I like to do is every week I listen to three or four sermons from different pastors all around the United States because I want to learn about communication. I want to learn from them. I want to be taught. I think that it's important to learn new things all the time. And I was listening about three months ago to a pastor named Andy Stanley. He's one of my favorites. I think he's one of the best communicators out there. And he asked a really poignant question that led him into a message that I'm going to actually pull from today. It's not stealing because we're all Christians, so we just kind of say it's not stealing, it's borrowing. Because what he's said changed my life, and I think it can change your life. But here's what Andy Stanley said. He started with a question, and he said this, when we make bad decisions, when we make decisions that come back and bite us in the backside, he said we intuitively always ask this question, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Whether we consciously ask it or we subconsciously ask it, we always ask the question, what was I thinking? The problem is, we rarely take the time to answer that question. We just move on to try to fix whatever problem we had, and then we come back to the same problem over and over and over again. But, but righteousness, being transformed by God, it begins when God gives us a new nature, like Ron talked about last week. And it grows when God gives us a new way of thinking. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because too often in the church, I think we, we skip this second part. We say, okay, you're a Christian now, so God's given you a new nature. Now go out and do the right thing. And you go out and you try to do the right thing, and maybe you're doing better for a while. Maybe you, you, you kicked that coke addiction, you know, and, and you stopped having, you know, eight girlfriends at once. But, but then you start to get to the deeper things of God, the, the things that are, are really stuck inside of you, and it doesn't seem to change. And, and I see too many Christians who just feel frustrated with the idea that now I'm a Christian, I have to go and do the right thing. And I want to zoom way back because I think the church and, and myself included, we're guilty we're guilty of saying transformation happens when we just do different things. But I think there's at least two steps before that. And one of the steps is thinking different things. Because if we think the way we used to think before we knew Jesus, then ultimately we will do the things we used to do before we knew Jesus. Because listen, you never did anything that started with an action. Everything you did started with a thought. And then it moved to an action. So today I want to explore a passage of the Bible, just two verses, that really dig into the idea that we can change the way we think. And if we change the way we think, it will, by its nature, change the way that we live. And these passages were written by one of my favorite Christian authors, a guy in the Bible whose name is Paul. And I love Paul for so many different reasons, but he just, he gets it. He really gets it. And Paul's the kind of guy who, when he became a Christian, he had to change a lot of what he thought. Because before Paul knew Jesus, Paul hated Jesus, and Paul hated the church, and he hated Christians. His vocation, his job, was that he would go in to a church service, he would pull out the pastor, you would never see him again, because that pastor would be in jail, and he would be murdered. He would take men and women and children, and he would have them stoned and murdered for their faith in Jesus. And then one day he met Jesus, and it changed his life. But when he met Jesus and it changed his life, he had to think things differently, Or else he was going to go on being the same murderous scumbag thug that he was before. And so, Paul, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he talks about what he did to change his thoughts and how that changed his life. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So, he's talking to Jesus' followers here. So, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you you have a pass. You can take this, this will help you. I think that you will learn something from it, but you don't actually have to do it. But if you're a Christian, you're kind of on the hook because he's talking to us and he's saying this is what it looks like to be transformed. And ultimately, he believes, like I believe, like you believe, that we actually want to be transformed by God or else we wouldn't come here. We don't want to just waste an hour and 10 minutes on a Sunday when it's beautiful outside. We actually want to experience change. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's the doing, holy and pleasing to God. But he's going to back up and tell us how to do it because he says this is true worship. So this is how we offer our bodies. This is the first step. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. What he's saying is, I don't want you to be one of these. I don't want you to be a cookie cutter. I don't want you to be like everybody else. It's easy to be one of these. All you got to do is go through life not doing anything and get stamped out, and you will look just like everyone else looks. Because if you do what everyone else does, you're going to get what everyone else gets. But who wants to be one of these? Look at this guy. I don't want to be one of these. You don't want to be one of these? These are no fun. He says don't conform. Conforming is easy. In the original language, the, the word conform has the idea of something passive. It's something that happens to you when you don't take control of your life. When you just go with the the waves of culture, when you go with the waves of what everybody wants from you, you end up looking like one of these guys. He says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Instead, be transformed by the, oh, we'll get there in a second, be transformed into one of these. Now, we all want to be one of these, because these, at least if you're a guy, you want to be one of these, because these are fantastic. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. Now, I have a question for you. Do you want to be one of these? Or do you want to be one of these? Everybody wants to be a transformer. No one wants to be a conformer. No one wants to look just like everybody else, because we're unique people with unique passions and thoughts and desires. We all want to be transformers. And in the original language, the idea of being a transformer is active. Being a conformer is passive. So if you want to be one of these, just keep on doing what everybody else is doing, and you'll end up like this. But If you want to be one of these, you have to do something different. And this is where Paul tells us what to do. He says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Instead, be transformed by doing a bunch of stuff. Oh, no, no, he doesn't say that. That's right. I just want to make sure you're still paying attention. It's up on the screens so you can read it for yourself. I don't want to lie to you. That comes later. That comes later. Doing will happen. But by the way, we're not going to talk about doing for another two weeks because that's how much later it is in the process of transformation. He says, if you want to be transformed. It doesn't come by doing more stuff. And by the way, this is one of the places where Christianity is different from every other religion. Because every other major world religion says, if you want to be transformed, start doing the right things and stop doing the wrong things. Make sure your good outweighs your bad. Then you'll experience transformation, then you'll be okay in the eyes of your deity, then you'll be okay in the eyes of your church, but Christianity doesn't say that. It says, if you want to be transformed, you do it by renewing your mind. That word renew means to restore. If you want to be transformed, if you want to be righteous, it doesn't start by trying to do the right thing. It starts by changing how we think, by restoring the way we think. And I'm so blessed. My wife, Maria, she loves to restore old furniture. She really enjoys this. And because she loves to restore old furniture, um, I get to restore old furniture. That's kind of the way it works in marriage. If you're not married yet, get ready. But whether you're restoring old furniture or you're a a man's man or a, a lady's lady who likes to restore old cars, restoring has a process to it. You have to sand away, grind away, wipe away the old layers of paint, and dust and rust till you get down to the core, and then you put on the original finish. You can't restore something by just slapping on a new coat of paint. Have you ever tried to do that? Take an old rusty car and just put a new coat of paint on it. What happens? It just peels right off. It just peels right off. And the same is true with Christianity. See, we have a lifetime of thinking certain things about ourselves, about God, about life, about the way that things work. And then we come to know Jesus, and, and if the next step after coming to know Jesus is, I'm just going to do all the things that the Bible says to do. You know what's going to happen? It's like slapping on a new coat of paint over the old coat of paint. It's just going to peel off, and you're going to left feeling unfulfilled and frustrated because you can't actually do what God says to do because you haven't taken time to sand off, to peel off the old ways of thinking. I just keep thinking as I was writing this sermon about, uh, about a karate kid, remember, like, Wax on, wax off. I I promised myself I wouldn't say that because it's super lame. But that's all I could think of. It's like, take it off and then put it on. Put it on. Put it on. But it, it starts by peeling away the old ways of thinking before we can put on the new ways of thinking. We could say it this way. Experiencing a transformed life, and this is one of your notes, begins when God gives us a new nature, and it continues when we allow God to restore our minds By the way, restoring an old car, restoring an old piece of furniture, have you ever noticed to do it well, it takes time? It takes a lot of time. And that's the same way with Christianity, with Christian maturity, with spiritual maturity. It takes time. It takes time to replace all the things we used to think about ourselves, the things we used to think about our spouse or the opposite sex. It takes time to replace the things that we used to think about money and friendship and forgiveness because we have a lifetime of thinking certain things. We have a lifetime of past experiences being hurt by someone and subconsciously telling ourselves, I'm never going to let anyone in again. And that just comes and it takes time to sand that way of thinking off before we can put on a new way of thinking. I've told some of you the story before, but when I was in college, I was in a two-year dating relationship with a gal and it was um, unhealthy, borderline dysfunctional, and she broke up with me, rightly so rightly so. She had every reason to break up with me. I was a jerk, um, but she broke my heart. I thought we'd get married someday, because when you're in the relationship, you don't see it, even though your friends are telling you. So I thought, we're going to get married someday. This will be great. Um, we didn't, and praise God, because I found Maria, and she's just incredible, incredible. I love you. She's sitting right there. You're the best. She goes, don't look at her. She gets nervous. She gets embarrassed. No, don't clap. She's already turned to red. I'm in trouble. She's very forgiving, very forgiving. I love that about my wife. But after this girl broke my heart, my pastor, my college pastor said to me, one, gave me the best advice I'd ever had. She said to me this. Uh, my college pastor said, Kevin, I want you to consider not dating for an entire year, which for me felt like forever because I was at that point a serial monogamist. I was one relationship to another, to another. From the time I was 12 to that point when I was just about 21. I'd always been in a relationship. I didn't know what it was to not be in a relationship. I didn't know who I was when I wasn't in a relationship. She said, don't date for a year. And that was the hardest thing I ever did. That one year turned into just about four years. And I thought, okay, God, I think I get it. I think I get it. In that, in that year, I relearned who I was. In the years of singleness, I learned what it meant to relate to the opposite sex in a healthy way, that they weren't objects, but they were people created in God's image. In that year, I learned that when everything else is stripped away, God is still here with me, and he's enough. And it was in those years of singleness that God God gave me a calling to ministry. He changed my life, and I can tell you this. It was the hardest time in my life, but it was the best time of my life because it took years to wipe off and scrape off and dig through that old way of thinking so that God could give me His mind and His way of thinking. If we want to be righteous, it does not happen quickly. I said this a few weeks ago on our Vision Sunday, you cannot microwave spiritual maturity. You just can't do it. Spiritual maturity is, it's like a crock pot. It's like a slow cooker. It just takes time to do. We got to marinate on things. We got to dig into things because God wants to replace all these old thoughts that are hurting us with new thoughts. So I began thinking to myself, what does this look like? Right now, it's all kind of theory. What does this actually look like? And I began to think about myself and about us in the church and tried to think through what are a few things that we tend to believe coming into our relationship with Jesus that God would want to wipe away so that we could start believing new things and right things. And so I want to give you four keys that I think are keeping us from experiencing transformation. Four thoughts that we have that we come into our faith with Jesus with, and and no one's going to raise their hand, so don't worry. But just be honest with yourself. Have you thought this, or do you think this? And then after I give you these four thoughts, then I want to talk about a few practical ways to reframe the way that we think. So here's the first thought that we usually come into Christianity with: If I can find the right person, then everything will be all right. That's what I thought when I was in my 20s. If I could just find the right girl, then, then I'll feel good about myself. Then everything will feel all right. Then life will be perfect. Then everything will happen. The clouds will part and the angels will come down. It'll be a beautiful thing. The problem is there are no perfect people. And I know some of you are like young and in love and dating right now, and that's fantastic. But but just trust me, once you get married, you'll find out he's not perfect, okay? It took my wife about three days into our honeymoon. It might take you a little longer, but he's not perfect. You're not perfect. And the problem is, I I talk to couples who have gotten married and then they realize, wow, he's not perfect or she's not perfect. I must not have found the right person because if I could find the right person, then everything would be all right. So they begin thinking, well, I better start looking for a different person because you're not the right person, but maybe maybe she's the right person or she's the right person or maybe being single is the way to go. And so we, we get out of relationships. We, we break uh, out of a marriage. And I'm not saying that's, that's never an option, but I am saying this. If we believe the lie that finding the right person makes everything all right, it becomes really easy to get divorced because no one is the right person. So here's the truth that God would want us to believe. Finding the right person isn't the goal. Becoming the right person is the goal. It's subtle, and it's just a way of thinking, but just think through that with me. The goal of your life is not to find the right person. Cuz even if you find someone who's mostly right, when you come into the relationship, you'll make it mostly wrong because you're not the right person. Instead, become the right person so when you do find the right person, they actually like you. That's what Jesus would say. Here's another one. These are just these are fun, okay? So don't get don't get excited. You already know this. So I'm just telling you stuff you already know. Okay? We're in this together. How about this thought? My situation's unique. My situation is unique. This is one that Christians have playing in our heads all the time, and we don't even know it. It's right under the surface, but it's always there. Here's how it plays out. You'll hear me share something in a message on Sunday, or you'll read something in your Bible, and you'll think to yourself, subconsciously, not on the surface, subconsciously, you'll think, yeah, that makes sense for everybody else. That's really wise. That's good advice. That's, uh, God, that's an excellent suggestion. I really appreciate what you have to say, God. I'll I'll definitely weigh that in with my other options. Um, But the truth is, my situation is unique. So that works for them, but but my situation's unique. That's true for everyone else, but it's not true for me. And we begin to think things like, yeah, but if you knew my wife, you'd knew why I'm trying to get out of this relationship. If you knew my financial situation, you would know why I have to get into debt. If you knew my boss and the pressure I'm in, you'd know why I have to tell those little white lies, why I have to steal things from work to field test them at home. If you knew my unique situation, can you see how our thoughts short-circuit our transformation process? You haven't even done anything yet. We're just thinking things that are subverting what God wants to do to change us. Here's the truth. You are unique, but your situation isn't. Situation isn't. I've been a pastor for 11 years. That's not that long, but it is long enough to know that everyone's situations boil down to like a handful of issues. Mama issues, daddy issues, you know, uh I, I i got hurt i was you know whatever i got trash canned in high school what, whatever the issue is okay that's my issue <laughs> they all boil down to a handful of issues you are unique created uniquely in god's image god loves you he doesn't just love us as a church he loves you he has a plan for you you are unique your situation not so much Your situation is the same as most others because we live in a world that's dominated by sin and because Satan has had thousands and thousands of years to figure out the best ways to sink us and he's taken the best five or six ways and he just uses those over and over and over again. He's not creative. He just knows what he's doing. That's why your situation is not unique. But if you think it is, it will short circuit what God wants to do. Here's another thought that we oftentimes think, I know it's not right, but it makes me happy. And God, God wants me to be happy. We think, yeah, I know I shouldn't go there. I know I shouldn't be with her. I know I shouldn't be with him. I I, I know I shouldn't do that thing, but it makes me happy. And Pastor Kevin, doesn't God want me to be happy? You tell me that God wants me to be happy. Listen, I'll be totally honest with you. Does God want you to be happy? I I don't know. I I think so. I think so. I believe that he does want you to have a level of happiness, but even more than he wants us to be happy, he wants us to have a, a deep sense of joy, that goes throughout our entire lives. And happiness is temporary based on an action. And things that are really bad for you can make you really happy in the moment, but they can really hurt you in the long run. God's more concerned with our character than he is with momentary happiness. So when you say to yourself, I know I shouldn't, shouldn't go there with her. I shouldn't drink that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't buy that. I, I probably shouldn't say that. I probably ought to hold my tongue, but, but it's going to make me feel good. It's going to make me happy. Just, just ask yourself, Is this what God would want for you? Because the truth is, if we do the wrong things, they never turn out right. If we do the wrong things, they never turn out right. We've all had situations where we did something because we thought it would make us happy, and then five months later, or ten months later, or ten years later, we realized that thing that I thought would make me so happy here ruined my life down here. That one night that I thought nobody would know about, what happened in Vegas followed me to Petaluma, and it wrecked my life. And it wrecked my kids, and it wrecked their kids. And I thought it'd make me happy, but it really hurt me. My son, whenever he gets in trouble, he's three and a half. He says to me, when he gets in trouble, "Dad, I'm so, I'm so sad right now." And I look at him, I go, "Buddy, you cannot do the wrong thing and feel the right way. It just won't happen. That's the way God designed us." I'll give it one last thought, and then we'll wrap our time up together. How about this one? If I only had blank then I'd be satisfied. I know you're confused because usually you fill in the blanks. That's actually just a blank. If I only had blank, then I'd be satisfied. If you want to fill it in, fill it in. If I only had that new house, that new car, that new spouse, that new pair of shoes, whatever your thing is, if I only had that, then I'd be satisfied. We all know we believe this because do you remember being 15 and thinking if I only had that car? My first car. My first car was a 67 Volkswagen Bug, bright blue, gray velour interior, huge box speakers in the back, limo tint. It was, it was awesome. I thought, that's my car for life. After the brakes went out twice, I crashed it a couple times. I thought, I need a bigger car if I want my life to go longer than five years, you know. That wasn't the right car, and we've all had that. We always, we think to ourselves, if I can only get this thing, then I'll be happy forever. And we get that thing, and we feel kind of satisfied, but in the end, we just want more. Because the truth is, and this is what God says over and over again, our appetites can never be fully and finally satisfied. Our appetites can never be fully And finally, satisfied. Those are just a few examples of the thinking that God wants to rewrite. And again, I'm not asking us to do anything today, but just to acknowledge the fact that when we give our life to Jesus, he changes our nature. But if we try to jump to then doing the right thing without changing the way that we think, we will fail over here, we'll never experience the righteousness that God wants for us, and we'll never be satisfied. Changing begins with that new nature. And then it continues as we change our minds. So here are a few ways that we can renew or restore our minds. Here's a few ways that we can move towards transformation. The first is this. Be at a church, and I'd love it if it's our church, but I really I just want you to be at the right church for you. Be at a church where the word of God, the Bible, is taught faithfully every week. God's word is the thing that transforms our mind. We spend all week, and advertisers spend millions of dollars trying to get us to think all sorts of different things. And then we come into the church after the world has told us all week long that true life is found looking like this. And church is one of the few places where we find out that God wants us to look like this. So be at church every week. Be at church every week. Allow your mind to be transformed. And then the next one is this. We need to ingest the Word of God every day. It's not enough to come to a church service three or four times a week and hear a 30-minute message. It will not change us. The the society we live in is is giving us too much of this, trying to stamp us out. We need to ingest the Word of God every day, to chew on it, to eat it, to get into it. Next Sunday, I'm so excited. I'm going to do something totally different. I'm going to teach you how I study the Bible. Because when I learned how to study the Bible the way that I do, it changed my life. I learned that I can actually understand what God's trying to say to me right now, right where I am, so that He could change my thinking, and that ultimately changed my life. So next Sunday is going to be a little bit different, but it's going to be so fun, and it could be key to you really knowing how to not just read my Bible every day, but ingest God's Word, chew on His Word, slow cook in His Word, and allow Him to change your life. And here's what you're thinking, here's what you're thinking you're thinking, oh, that's really cute that Pastor Kevin wants me to come next week. He must have forgotten that it's Fourth of July weekend. You know what? I didn't actually. I didn't forget that. I didn't forget that we live in Sonoma County, one of the most beautiful places in the world. I didn't forget that we have Bodega Bay just 45 minutes away. I didn't forget that there's wine tasting specials all over Sonoma County right now. I didn't forget that the park will be beautiful. It'll probably be 82 degrees. I did not forget any of that. And yet, and yet, I want to invite you to invest an hour and 15 minutes of a 24-hour day into something that could transform your life. It's that important. And the reason why I want to bring that up is because we're all thinking that subconsciously, and that thought, we live in Sonoma County, it's beautiful, it's Fourth of July weekend, that thought will direct our actions a week from today. So I just want you to think something differently. Instead of thinking how beautiful it is in Sonoma County and how much you could be doing, think about this. I have 24 hours in my day. What if I invested an hour and 15 minutes of that in something that could transform my life? Would it be worth it? And the answer is yes. And then the third thing we can do, the third thing we can do is to join a life group this fall so we can rub shoulders with other transformers. That's what I want us to do. Life groups are so good, and I'm so excited about this fall. This fall, we're moving all of our life groups to a message-based system. So whatever I preach on Sunday or Pastor Ron preaches on Sunday, we'll be chewing on that individually throughout the week. Then we'll be getting into a life group and really digging into that in a life group. And life groups are just groups of like 10 to 15 people who meet together every week to study what we're learning on Sunday mornings. And it's so good for us because it helps us to keep chewing on it, engaging with it, changing the way we think. Being in a life group is better than being here on Sunday morning because here, all you do is you get a download of information. In a life group, you get to actually process that information. It is fundamental for your spiritual growth. So I want to call our entire church this fall, be in a life group. Be in a life group. In September, we'll have our life group promotion month. I want everybody to be in a life group because here's the great promise that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 12. I want to wrap up right now. In Romans 12 too, he says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. He says, if we allow our minds to be transformed, we can actually know the will of God for our lives, for our families, for Sonoma County and for the world. And as Jesus followers, isn't that what we want? Don't we want to know what God wants for us? Don't we want to know what God wants for our community? Don't we want to know what God wants for our kids? Paul makes a connection here. Allow your mind to be transformed, and you'll know the will of God. By the way, it all starts, it all starts where we talked last week. It all starts with that new nature. And if we get that new nature... God moves to changing our minds. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never entered into a personal relationship with him, and and I'm not talking about, I go to church on Christmas and Easter, and I'm not talking about, yeah, my, my spouse brings me every once in a while. I'm talking about a real personal relationship with God where you're actually allowing him to change your life. If you've never said yes to him like that, I want to give you a chance to do it. Every week we do. Every week we give you an opportunity to come into a relationship with Jesus and almost every week someone makes that decision and it is the highlight of my week praying for you and celebrating that with you because when God does that, he changes us internally and he allows us to live the life he created us to live from that point forward and it's an incredible gift and we can only receive that gift because Jesus left heaven and he came to earth and he lived a perfect life and then he gave his life on a cross and when he did that, he took our penalty for our sin on Himself so that we could be forgiven of our sin, so that we could have a new nature, so that we could walk with God in a personal relationship. And if you're ready to make that decision, I'm going I'm to close this time in prayer. I'm going to pray for our whole church, and then partway through that, I'm going to pray for you if you're ready to make that decision. And I'm going to invite you to repeat a simple prayer of commitment after me. You can just say it in your head or whisper it where you're sitting. So if you're ready to make that decision, uh, when the time comes, you can pray that prayer with me, would you join me let's let's close our eyes together and let's pray Lord, would you would you do the work that you promise in Romans chapter twelve verses one and two? would you would you give us the desire to dig through all those old ways of thinking and renew our minds, not just weekly at church, not just not just monthly, not just seasonally, but daily, would you help us to change the way that we think so that the way that we think lines up with the way that you think so that after that, the way that we live can line up with the way that you created us to live so that we can walk a life of righteousness and experience the blessing and the satisfaction that you promised to us in Matthew chapter 5. God, would you do that? Holy Spirit, would you change our minds, renew our minds, restore our minds to be the men and women that you created us to be? I pray that for my friends in this room and I pray that for myself. And as we continue to pray, if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, but you're ready to do that, you can pray the simple prayer with me It does not end the journey with God. It actually begins your journey with God. It's a prayer of just surrendering your life to Him, allowing Him to begin to change you from the inside. If you're ready to do that, you can whisper the simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, today I say yes. Yes, I want this life that you're offering. and Yes, I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you show me what it looks like to walk with you every day from this day forward into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If you made that decision, I'm so excited for you. I wanna connect with you this week. We have some things for you. Uh, We wanna be praying for you. We wanna help you on this journey. So if you could do this for me, I want everybody to grab this card that I mentioned to you earlier. And on the back, it says, I wanna apply today's teaching by... And the first one is for you if you made that decision. Uh, It says, I'm entering into a first-time relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're making that decision, would you just mark that on your card so we can connect with you this week? Make sure you put down your email address and name on the front and let us know what's going on in your life. The next one is this. Uh, If you're here and some of those things that I mentioned, those thought processes, they kind of rang true for you, even though maybe you've been walking with Jesus for 20 years, they just kind of rang true with you, Um, I want you to go back through that list. Take your notes home with you and look through that list. And just ask God, God, what do you want to teach me in this? So if you're going to do that, would you mark that on your card? And then I'm going to ask us to do something crazy, okay? I'm going to ask us to assume that should the Lord allow us to live for another week, I would like us to commit to being here next Sunday. I know, I know, it's a, it's a revolutionary thought, but I would like us to do it. So if you're going to commit to being here next week, I know you haven't like looked at your calendar or, or talked, but listen, we have three services next Sunday. You could come to any of the three. If you're going to come, would you just mark down your card so we can know, so I can pray for you, because I think next week is going to be really a powerful time for you. We'd also love to uh, be praying for you, so if you have prayer requests, you can write those down. Uh, if you have any sort of answered prayers. We want to celebrate that. Would you write that down as well? In a second, we're going to be receiving the offering. So if you came prepared to give, you can use the envelope inside your program and drop your tithes and offerings right inside of there. And while you're getting your tithes and your offerings ready, I do want to highlight one thing. Starting tomorrow, uh, we have a fireworks booth, and all and the proceeds that we get go to our student ministries team. And we're just so excited about that for what God's doing in the junior and senior high students in our church, and we're excited to support them uh, through the fireworks booth. So you can do two things for us. One is you can go to our fireworks booth. It's just on the corner by the 7-Eleven down here on Old Redwood Highway. Uh, It's, I don't know, a block and a half away. You can come here next week. We'd love to have you there. And, and, we need volunteers, especially on July 3rd and 4th. So when you walk out these doors, you're going to see like fireworksy type stuff, red, white, and blue stuff. You can sign up for an hour, two hours, three hours, uh, 10 hours, whatever you want to do uh, to help us out with that. We need some adult volunteers because we can't let people under 18 uh, go and serve in there. So make sure you go sign up for that. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll be passing those baskets. You can talk, turn in your Connect cards and your offering. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to give. Uh, thank you that for many of us you have rewritten our our minds, so that we actually see giving for what it is—an uh, opportunity to invest in your kingdom, and an opportunity to give back uh, just a portion of what you've so generously and graciously given to us. Thank you that you invite us to do this as an act of worship just as much as singing is worship and just as much as hearing the message is worship, that this is part of our worship. And we ask that you would use this uh, to move in powerful ways. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing home our students uh, from the mission trip they were on in Oregon. Thank you that only one of them got the flu, and we're praying for the other ones to not get it. Lord, would you be healing our friend Emma, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pass those baskets. Uh, you can turn in your Connect cards and your tithes and offerings. And I do want to highlight one final thing as those are being passed. Don't forget, on the 13th, the 13th of July, we'll be doing our service time transition. All three of our services are changing on the 13th of July. Who can tell me? Who can tell me? And by the way, I'm going to give you a prize if you can tell me our three new service times. So I'm, this is like crazy. You don't even know what the prize is. It might not be that good. Okay. Who can tell me? First one to raise your hand, all three service times. Kevin, I saw Kevin Todd right there. Kevin Todd, what are our three service times? Nice and loud. Nailed it. Yes. Home run. You get a New Life Cup. Yeah, I'm excited for you. Talk to me after this. I'm going to give you a New Life Cup. Stay hydrated, buddy. Fantastic. 830, 10, 1130, starting on July the 13th. If you show up here at 9 o'clock, you will miss worship and you'll miss the beginning of the message. You will be that guy or that gal that walks in while I'm preaching and everyone's sitting down And you walk in like on time change Sunday. It's not fun. I might call you out. So just don't don't chance it. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you back here next week. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.